All about custom talking. Go. Featuring Scott Tibbetts. Hunter Rudd. And Austin Hall. Our topic today will be public people from a different perspective. Our purpose is to question public people's reputations, and the audience is you. Our five subcategories will be the Sullivan Brothers, George Washington, Joe Paterno, <laughs> Paterno and Niall Kennick, and Connor McGregor. <laughs> Gosh. Who thought of that? What? Those people. <laughs> we got all, I, George Washington and Conor McGregor. <laughs> we had to do you ain't going to do nothing. So it starts with like <laughs> George Washington and then it, like we had to relate it into today's like world. So we're live, by the way. We are? <laughs> oh, I didn't know you we were still going. I mean, I guess we might as well just. Well, no, that's a good. That's yeah, good. that's fine. That's good content. That's, that's basically that's how podcasts podcast work. The listeners are smiling just, right now. Yeah, like you gotta start with a laugh to keep we're getting negative views on this. Negative views. <laughs> well, we might as well just start with that first category. I mean, I know we at least read the book. Yeah, I didn't. I'm not in the class though. Yeah, so, you know. Well, you were in the class. That's why I'm featured. I'm just featured. I'm not a member. Who's that other person that was in that class? Adriana for a day. No, Eric Sully. Eric Sully. Really? The same okay. person almost. So, what are some of the things that the Sullivans did that hindered their reputation? Um, they drank a lot. They did. Like, before they were even enlisted, they just, they were in that bar- biker club, and every day, almost, they would go out, hang out, and just all go drink. And I don't even think any of them were 21 by the time, or I mean the oldest couple were at least 21 by the time they enlisted, but, jeez, <laughs> man. The mic just turned red for those of you <laughs> listening with headphones on, which sorry. I apologize. That your ears fell off there. <laughs> you should put them back on, though. Yeah. You might want to. In for the rest of this, it's good information. Well, I mean, I believe that another thing that hindered their reputation would be the Sullivan brothers from time to time would go into the quote unquote black neighborhoods of Waterloo and almost go and start to just depict fights, and uh, that really isn't very uh, classy move of them, and that's definitely something that hindered their reputation. Uh, for those that don't know who the Sullivan brothers are, they are a, a family of five brothers that are from Waterloo, Iowa, back, and they enlisted in the war together. Today, we had the privilege of getting to talk on the phone with Professor Bruce Kucklick, a historian on the Sullivan Brothers. On Iowa. Hey, hello. How are you doing? Good. Uh, you got your people there. I've got my, my relatively small class of students. Yeah, that's all right. This is a... Uh, Hi, guys and girls. Just guys, I'm gonna go. I'll, I'll have them introduce themselves here. I got three students yeah. in here with me. These are all seniors here at at BGM. Uh-huh. Hi, my name's Austin Hall. Uh, my name is Scott Tibbetts, and my name's Hi. Hunter Rudd. Okay. Yeah, and I, uh, they are taking an elective uh, world history course, kind of kind of just a project based history course. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, there was some choice in their topics, and they really wanted to go into World War II. So, and, and we kind of went with this route um, with your book, and then because of kind of our ability to talk about historiography and just the, you know, realities of the history versus how it's um, shown, I guess. So. 
And have you gotten to Waterloo yet? No, that's kind of uh, kind of the next thing. So, yeah, in a way, we they I kind of want the kids to kind of explore like you did. All right, so here's what um, the portrayal of it is in the newspaper. So we've looked at some like articles on the Sullivan brothers and and dedications to sites and things, right. and then. Uh, well, since I know you're going, I think I wrote you about this. Uh, I know you're going to the museum, and if you do, you might contact the archivist in advance and have her uh, bring out to you. They have a few letters from the boys to their parents that are still extant, and you can see them. And I think if you're a student, I mean, well, I'll just put it, even for me, I've been doing this for a long time, it really blows you away to see some original documents. Uh, and they, they're right there. Uh, you know, they've got a reading room. And you can go in and look at them. And I'm sure the archivist, if you made, uh, you know, gave her uh, a week or so uh, to, to get them together, would be happy to show them to you. That's one thing. But I would also just walk the streets of Waterloo a little if you've got the time. Uh, uh, to, to get a sense of what their town was like and everything. Yeah. Um, so that's, my, that's my, uh, advice for being on the scene actually. But I spent a lot of time in Waterloo, Iowa. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, even outside of the topic of the book, I think, you know, some of our questions just are in general, the work of a historian. Well, it's, it's unit by unit. <clears throat> and so, what they're tackling this one, the topic, the Sullivan brothers with World War II. Uh-huh. Um, we're going to try to experience that movie and then kind uh-huh. of reflect on the, some of the questions you have. <clears throat> and then the the extension part of that is for them to reflect on kind of one of your overall questions about, you know, how does myth drive you know, yeah. the the truth versus the myth on like a local level. Yeah. Um here. So they're just they'll pick a local topic and kind of and try to yeah. address the know. differences. Uh, it was very I mean if you if you depending on how far you've gotten the book, what you've read, I mean it was a huge story in nineteen forty three. I mean it was all over the United States and the and the surviving parents toured uh, America talking about what had happened to their kids and uh, you and, and and arguing to to the rest of the people in the United States that this is you know World War Two was a serious issue and we want you all to uh, keep working in defense industries don't give up secrets uh, to spies and. Uh, maintain your patriotism in the face of this this horrible challenge that the United States faced. And I'll also the uh, the other thing which if you if you're thinking about mythology, I think it's really important to think about how important Hollywood is in forming our beliefs about US history. Or not even Hollywood so much uh, as 
the entertainment industry. Uh, a lot of my colleagues who were professional historians at colleges get really annoyed about this. How dare Hollywood, you know, be telling students about World War II. We ought to be able to do it in our lecture courses or books. And I feel really differently. I just think Hollywood and the entertainment industry can be, can do so much more. I mean, they won't do it in, you know, they might do it in ways that I'll be critical of, as I was in, in the book, but I just think uh, there's a trade-off and that they can, that Hollywood or entertainment can do things in a way that, you know, a college lecturer just can't. And I give you, a, this is on my mind, actually, uh, even today. How many of you heard about the, the Broadway musical Hamill? It's yeah, all yeah, of our no. stuff, yeah. Has it gotten to uh, Brooklyn? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think it might have even done a stretch in our capital in Des Moines. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, it's, it is absolutely an amazing show, and it's made more people aware of Alexander Hamilton and uh, the Founding Fathers than anything I could do in a classroom. So I have a great respect for the ability of these of the entertainment industry, even if it's not particularly accurate, even if they're doing something mythological, to you know to make people confront the history. So you're interested in this. You guys are interested in Sullivan's. But you're not going to necessarily buy what Hollywood says. What you're going to do is investigate it yourself and come to your own conclusions, which is exactly what I would like you to do with a history teacher. Uh, you bet. So, yeah. And so what would you say is one of the bigger, like more significant stretching of the truth situations that goes on with the Sullivan brothers? Uh, that's the that's one of the ones I know about. I mean, uh, I think I, one of the things you learn as a historian is that whatever the the standard conventional wisdom is about something, if you start scratching around, you're going to find it's very very different. And that's I mean I don't. <laughs> I, one of the things, and you'll hear this at all when you you go to school, and I hope you hear it from uh, in your in the class you're taking now. The important thing is not not so much that you that you believe, let's say, what I say in the book or what the movie says, but that you learn that you got to be critical. You got to think about these things through yourself. And that's what I, when I teach, I mean, I, you know, the kids, the kids always say, is it going to be on the exam? Or, you know, just tell us the facts. And my, my view about this stuff is that what you want to learn from it is how to kind of think yourself through these things. Cause you're going to, you're going to, in five years, you're going to forget everything you've learned in this class. I don't know. Uh, but what you want to take away from it is that I can investigate something myself 
And I, I ought to be aware that it's more complicated than someone's trying to tell me. That's what I, that's what I think is, I, I, I don't know that, that the Sullivan story is a bigger stretch of truth than other things, but what I know is that when I look at anything, I gotta be careful about what I think about it, and I ought to just take somebody's word uh, without, you know, you know, without looking at the evidence and without trying to figure out what the logic is behind what people are saying. What do you What do you think with with this story? Once you got into it, and so, could it have turned out any other way, or was you know it seemed like right off the bat? Well, I think it was that tabloid in Chicago covered it a certain way. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, from then, it, you know, it's, you know, the story was never, God, it never looked like it could have been anything yeah, no, but I what it was. I think that's right. I think that's right because it, it, you have to put yourself back in 1942 when the United States has been, this surprise attack has occurred from Japan. People are scared. They're threatened. As soon as Japan declares war in the United States, then Japan, ally Germany, also declares war in the United States. And that means the United States is fighting a war on two fronts, as they call call it, once on the the East Coast and on the West Coast. Kids are being drafted. They're being sent off to fight. People are scared, and they're they're legitimately frightened. So when this newspaper goes and uh, you know it interviews everybody in uh, in Waterloo, and, and you know it becomes clear that you've had five brothers killed at once. People aren't going to reflect and saying, gee, were these guys really, did they do well in school? Uh, did they really go to church every week? Uh, it, there's going to be a, uh, a rush to kind of defend the integrity of the United States. And I, so I guess, I wouldn't say it's inevitable, but it's very likely that there's going to be a mythology created about these guys. Um, the real, I think the real tragedy of the story is what happens to that. I mean, the family was more or less dysfunctional before the guys joined the Navy. Uh, but afterwards, the sadness of that family is really just, I mean, it takes your breath away. It really, and that's why that one scene, which you people will be looking at in a week or so, is so powerful because you understand the impact of the death of those kids on that family. I mean, it really, it's, you know, it's overwhelming. And the movie gets at that. And the movie gets at that in a way that uh, you'll see when you watch it. I can I can talk my head off to you, but you won't. The impact is is really only generated in the movie. Really, just is terrific. Maybe maybe you oh, know. Yeah. So you know what what took you to that top? What took you to this topic? Ah, 
That's a good question, actually. I uh, Have you seen the movie yet? Nope, that's still on our list. We... Okay. Well, when you see the movie, it's... Uh, I find I had my... I've made my kids watch it, and it's a, a movie from the 1940s. It's very old. It's black and white. It's kind of slow, especially given how fast movies run today. But the, the, almost the last scene of the movie is really spectacular. And it's the scene in which the, uh, a guy from the Navy comes in and he tells the parents that their five children have been killed in the South Pacific. And it, the scene, and I've talked to a number of people about it, Everybody, a lot of people still watch this movie, and they all remember this scene. It's just spectacular. And it was called, at the time, and has been called afterwards, the, uh, the most important kind of propaganda moment uh, that, was, that Hollywood had during the whole period of World War II. And uh, for some reason, I was... You know, I love movies. I watch movies all the time. And I was using YouTube. And I happened to see clip that was that scene. And that just, I thought to myself, I got to know about this. And this is something if you're a historian, but you kind of, it, it's not like you say, gee, I to, I'm going to go write about uh, the Sullivan Brothers and Waterloo, Iowa. You kind of stumble on things and you, and you find yourself thinking, gee, how did this get to be here? Why is this like this? Or how did this come about? And you kind of follow your nose about this stuff. And I did. So I learned a little about the movie. And then I thought, well, gee, maybe I should... Uh, Maybe I can find out about what was going on. So I went out to Waterloo, uh, which is, I know, Brook, I checked up on Brooklyn. It's smaller than Waterloo. But uh, Waterloo is a small town. I went there. I went to the public library. I started looking at the newspapers. I wandered around to the museum. And pretty soon I just got myself completely hooked on this topic and, you know, trying to figure out what happened in the last part of it was to go out to Hollywood a couple of times and look through uh, the records of 20th Century Fox on how they made the film. So you kind of, you do just follow your nose, and I, uh, but there's something about it that, I don't know if you're a historian, you just kind of get into it. I mean, I don't know what, you three guys, how, why you decided to take this elective, but if you have this in, you got to scratch it. That's, so that's how I got into it. And then, uh, or if any of my students have a question, follow up or anything. Yeah. You can ask me anything you want. I mean, about movies, about World War II, about the Sullivans. Did you, uh, did you have any, so you mentioned going out to Hollywood with uh, Fox. Do they have a pretty good archive with that type of stuff? Because it seemed like you had a, uh, some correspondence actually, between those that's people. A, that's a really interesting question. They, it's only very recently that the studios have gotten interested in their uh, uh, in their stuff. Uh, now that they have, 
they're very, very protective of it. So uh, MGM, for example, will have an archive, but, but they're very, very worried that someone will come there and you know uh, be able to get you know some some great visual representation of uh, I don't know Marilyn Monroe or something like that. Uh, most of the stuff that they uh, that you can look at is at various libraries, and there there are two, well, there's three. There's uh, there's UC University of California in Los Angeles, the uh, University of Southern California, USC, and then there's a uh, Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Library, and those three places, among them, literally, and this is true, I, I was told this by an archivist, they would pick up old movies in dumpsters outside of the Hollywood lots and go and then decide to preserve them. And that's the kind of stuff you can look at. And then it was, as I said, it's only recently that the movie picture people thought, my God, this stuff is, you know, you know can be really important and useful and we're going to save it. Uh, but most of the stuff that I was able to look at were at those three places. And they had, you know, they had various kind of collections of movies. That, uh, movies, they have old scripts that, that, uh, that were used. They have uh, the records of the producers and the directors. There are all sorts of odds and ends of stuff uh, that you can look at. And then for, for what I did, uh, the uh, the head of 20th Century Fox at the time was this guy, Daryl Zanuck, uh, and he was supposed to be a real pain in the butt, but what he did, he loved having his secretary make notes of his ideas about stuff, and so there's a whole great big collection of this very, very successful Hollywood head of 20th Century Fox and all of his ideas about various films. And there were also ones uh, on Sullivan's. Oh, and then one other thing, which is which I which is interesting. Uh, in Washington D.C., there's there's a there's a huge building called the National Archives, which houses all the stuff, and they have Navy records from World War II. Uh, and the Navy, of course, got into uh, the business of, of not making movies, but in promoting certain kinds of films and giving what they called stock footage of fighting in the Pacific uh, to the movie studios. So I went to Washington and went to the National Archives uh, and looked through the Navy records. So all of the stuff is not, it's not hit and miss because you kind of get a sense of where the stuff might be. But it is, as I said, not a kind of completely, you don't, you don't have it planned out at the start about, uh, that this, you're going to do this, 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 and in this order, and it'll lead to this, this, and this. It's, it's, uh, as I say, uh, a lot of, uh, kind of meandering around figuring stuff out, which is why I think you guys, if you're all interested in this, you'd get a kick out of going to the museum and looking at the at the actual letters to see, you know, to see what one 
or another, the boys, wrote his parents in 1942. I mean, it's just amazing to sit there and see the thing. Uh, are you doing stuff with the war, with war movies, or just are, are you are you doing a, uh, a more or less uh, course on World War Two? Just on the Hollywood thing, we got a quick question here that kind of deals with it. You apparently really enjoy Hollywood film, and so yeah. our question is: uh, How much did you watch, like, in research to write this book? How much did I watch films? Yeah, like films, like the movie itself, or other films oh, surrounding World War Two to get information. I must have watched that movie twenty times. You, you're going to watch it once, and you'll see. You know, because you'll you'll be you're ready for it, you'll pick up a lot of the stuff. But what's amazing when you when you watch a movie over and over again, you get to see the great care that these directors and producers and the actors, actresses, the way that the movies are made so carefully. And I could see, you can see that if you look at the uh, the production note for that film, for example, you see how carefully everything is mapped out. You know the lighting, the the, uh, the exact words that the actors say, the way they're going to move. I mean, these people do what they do very carefully. Now, in addition to that, what I did, uh, and I think it's a standard for people who do kind of. Uh, movie history, I looked at every other World War II movie I could uh, I find, not more than World War II. Uh, the war, America gets into the war, as you know, in December of 41. Uh, but I looked at movies from the late 1930s on up to movies from 1945. Now, there are a lot of them that you could just look at that are on YouTube. There are a lot of them that I had to order specially, you know, from, uh, on DVD and actually pay a premium to get them. Uh, but you, you know, I kind of, I don't want I don't want to say became an expert, but I now am familiar with all of these different movies and the you know and the different ways in which they would show battle scenes, for example. And after you watch ten or twelve of them you get to see the you know the standard ways in which these things are done but uh looking at the way hollywood reacted to the war you get a different kind of understanding uh, of the war than you would if you just uh you know were to uh you know just read books about it I would recommend if you if you want to look at other stuff, there's a guy named Frank Capra, C A P R A, who did a series of movies for the government called Why We Fight, and it's spectacular. I mean, there are like half a dozen of them, and they're all on a different part of uh, the war effort in the forties. They're very well done and very interesting. Uh, if you look at almost any of these movies, will tell you something about the uh, the war in a very graphic and interesting way. And 
How many of you have seen Saving Private Ryan? All of us. I think all. I think all four. Yeah. Four. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you if you go back and look at Saving Private Ryan, if you're not aware of it now, there's one scene right at the beginning where uh, they where the Sullivans are mentioned, so that basically the movie is a kind of uh, an updated some very fictionalized account of, of uh, multiple brothers fighting in the war. And then there's another scene in Saving Private Ryan when the uh, army sends a chaplain to, uh, to tell Mrs. Ryan, and it's, it, looks, it looks to me, it's certainly could, it's not, it's not the East Coast or West Coast. It's a it's a Midwestern scene. If you don't remember it, you you can I think you can Google the uh, the clip where they they show the car going up to a farm and they and they uh, they show the chaplain going in and telling uh, Mrs. Ryan that three of her four boys have been killed and there's one still left. Uh, so saving Private Ryan. You know, kind of uses the fighting the movie, the Fighting Sullivans, to you know uh, to make it to make itself uh, be, you know more, much more recently. Uh, so once you start studying this stuff, uh, it, it gets very very interesting. And I I don't want to tell you guys to go to college and become. Uh, uh, historians necessarily, but if you get the bug, it's a good bug to have. Well, there's actually two of us that are going to college in Waterloo this fall. Uh huh. Good, good. Which are you going? Uh, which are you going to the this? Tom, where you going? The school oh. in the, uh, the the neighboring town. I forgot now what Cedar it is. Falls. Cedar Falls. No, that's the that's the big university. We're we're just going to the small uh, community college that's in Waterloo. Oh, uh, it's in Waterloo itself. Yeah, yep. I, I I visited the other one, uh, the neighboring one. The uh, University so of Northern you've been Iowa. To Waterloo, then you you must have gone there to see it, right? Yeah. Oh, good, good. Well, walk around. It's a terrific little town, uh, and I can. Uh, uh, I mean, if you go to the, the park that's named after the kids, you can see their old school, uh, the museum, of course. Uh, it's, it's just a really interesting place. Uh, and it has all of these historical, I don't know what the echoes of World War II, I guess I would say. You know, Sticking with Waterloo, you know, I maybe want to talk about some of the your findings, your historical findings. And, you know, one of the things that we found interesting so far was uh, kind of the contrast between Waterloo's reaction to all of it and then people removed from it. Yeah. Um, you know, what do you think, I guess, drove that? Is it exactly what kind of the, the idea of the book was? Yeah. Uh, well, it wasn't actually, it wasn't the idea. I didn't, I never expected to find what I found. But when I went there and I would start, 
know, I, you, and you do it too. Now, you have, it depends. Uh, you know, things are changing. But I would talk to people on the street. I would just say, hi, you know, I'm here, you know, to investigate the Sullivan brothers or something. And what I found was that so many people were angry at them. You know, oh, we hate them or something like that. And if you look at the book, you'll see I have all these various ideas about uh, why they had the the, uh, reputation they did and and how the, the reputation got established, something. But I think... My main, my main views are these. First, there are an awful lot of people, and I don't. This is a bad way of putting it, but it's like it's it's a way, or in some way, jealous of them because they got after they were killed in the war, they got all this attention, and there were a lot of people, a lot of other. Uh, guys who had fought and who had died who were from Waterloo, Iowa, and who had never gotten any attention. Now, that's not the right way to put it, but there's this feeling of they they got, uh, you know, they got monuments and our kids or our families did. Another part of it is that a lot of people didn't like them because they had a bad reputation when they're alive in Waterloo. As I said, they were part of this motorcycle gang. They they were drinkers. They, uh, you know, they weren't solid, upstanding citizens. They they had all of these black marks against them, which, uh, you know, which led the people to think of the Sullivan's not in a good way. So that's one thing about the way the town but then there are the town's politicians and civic leaders. And for them, the Sullivans were the death of the Sullivan and the national recognition that they uh, that they achieved. I mean, if you look at the book, there's, I found this, this wonderful picture with Franklin Roosevelt, you know, who's this, you know, leader who's larger than life in the United States in World War II, and he's with the Sullivans, you know, so this was this was a gift to the town leaders putting Waterloo, Iowa on the map. I mean, you can imagine if, it, if something like that happened in Brooklyn, Iowa, and all of a sudden everybody in uh, the United States, when they thought of Brooklyn, they thought of Iowa and not of New York. Uh, that was the kind of impact that uh, the the sinking of the Juno had in the United States. So the leadership in Waterloo wants to overlook all of the blemishes of the Sullivans and promote them. So you had all of these uh, uh, things like the museum going up, they're, they're still having, actually, and I haven't followed it recently, but you can if you go, when you go there, uh, there's a convention center, which uh, is named after the Sullivan brothers. And the whole idea of the convention center was to use their name uh, to, to make Waterloo 
grew a kind of Midwestern center for conventions and helped the city grow. So there's a there's a uh, a big difference between the feeling of a local townsfolk, like maybe your some of your neighbors, and the mayors and city council people of Waterloo itself. And then there is the whole United States, uh, where in fact I just. Uh, there was a, uh, you know, we just celebrated St. Patrick's Day, and there's a, an Irish St. Patrick's Day Association, which put out, uh, and you can check this out on the internet too, a great big celebratory article on the Sullivan as, you know, kind of expressing the best aspects of uh, Irish Americans. And if you read it, it just was like two weeks ago, I got sent a copy. It's completely hokey. It it takes the myth of the Sullivans and pretends that it's, you know, nobody is challenged with it all. So I, as I say, it, uh, I never expected to find what I did find after nosing around there, but it's a very interesting and complicated story. The last question we have time for, but you know, you talk about the the original screenplay and movie produced, and then the shift to the Fighting Sullivans. I yeah. think, you know, what what do you think would have been the difference if that original was pub, you know, made public? I uh, guess that's a good question too, because I could, you know, I, I say how they uh, Hollywood. Uh, changed things around and edited stuff. And I got told basically at the end, and this is a, 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 a good example of what I talked about before, that one of the versions of the movie got thrown out. That is to say, you know, there were, I don't know how many copies of it and it got stuck in it and got thrown out into a dumpster and got thrown away. So you can't find it. And I've kind of put together what I think it would have looked like by looking at a few movie reviews that came out very early on before they changed things around. Um, I think, I actually don't think that uh, changing the title had much of an impact. Uh, And that was done by Daryl Zanuck, the guy, the head of... 20th Century Fox, who produced it, who wanted to support the war effort, and he thought that that kind of change would do it. I think the film stood on its own. I mean, and it was regarded as a, uh, you know, as a, a real uh, piece of of propaganda that was worthwhile. So. Uh, I would say it's it's a very interesting commentary on what was going on at the time, especially if you know how the, you know, if you try to piece together the various versions of the movie. But I think Zanuck had something really golden to start with, uh, and he didn't have to do that. Great. Well, I think um, we're on pretty short little periods here, so I think we're going to run into our lunch hour here. So okay. I would just like to... Uh, look, uh, if you want to email me, if you have uh, further questions or anything like that, I'm happy to talk to anybody. Or if, you, if you've got 
Uh, if you do something with your project that I can help with, just let me know. I'm, uh, I love talking to you, uh, and uh, I hope you uh, keep it in mind when you visit uh, Waterloo yourselves. Okay. okay. Yes, we appreciate your time, and thank you very much. Uh, class. Okay. Thank you, thank you Professor. Bye, guys. Okay, bye. So our next topic will be George Washington and the fact that he owned slaves. Let's discuss. Austin, what do you have to say? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, back in that time, that was actually kind of a thing to do almost. I mean, yeah, it's not a good thing to do, but back in those days, that's what... It was the norm, social norm. It was basically the social norm. Societal norm. See, to me, I just don't think that that's okay. I mean, gonna, obviously, we don't think it's okay. I think that but, George Washington gets a lot of credit for being a hero in this country when really he was an evil man. I don't think we should just... That's why different perspectives. That's Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we well, have that's, 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 why, today. that's why you guys brought me in, was yeah. because I have the right opinions. I understand that. The right but, opinions? Because, you know, we look back at Hitler and we would never say that what he did was okay just because, you know, it was during a different time period. We would never say that. But if we're going to look at George Washington, oh, just because he's American, we're going to say that it was okay? But that was okay to, back then. There's a difference. Black people? Yeah, no. That was okay, okay. back then. When was Jews ever okay? It wasn't. That's why we still look at it. We're, we're going to be racist over here. We're not racist. We were just saying, yes, he did own slaves and he had that minor fault. Yep, George Washington is the worst American in history. He also has his goodness by being a great general and leading this country to oh, freedom. Yeah. Killing people. <laughs> Killing people. Overrated. We're trying to kill us. They're, yeah, we're defending our country. That's okay. You wouldn't be sitting in the sea if it wasn't for George Washington. Yeah, I'd probably be like a on Mount seat. Everest or something. I'd probably be like he is? Oh, wait. Ooh. What? He's wait, on Mount, Mount Everest? Everest? No, <laughs> he's not. <laughs> <laughs> Rushmore. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you went with it. I did it because I'm no, a, not you. I'm not an idiot. I have the right opinion. <laughs> I have the right opinion. Mr. Glenn, what do you have to say? Just kidding. Mr. Glenn isn't here right now. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> oh, our professor, Mr. Glenn, just walked in. Oh. You have a few words on this? Absolutely not. Oh, he just left the room. That was the door shutting. Our microphone turned red again. Sorry about that. Phone users. All right. So if you've been listening, you probably agree that George Washington was just a despicable human being. Uh, probably one of the worst Americans in history, even though he's regarded by many as a hero. Uh, Austin and Hunter really didn't contribute much to this topic, uh, but I guess we can move on to the next topic. Joe Paterno. I wasn't done with Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe Paterno was... Uh, Penn State's head coach for uh, football forever. Um, and he resigned after one of his assistants uh, did some sexual interaction with a couple of the players. And uh, he knew about it, but he didn't tell anyone. So he resigned and he later died a few months later. I'm just going to step out of this one because I, I don't really know Joe Paterno very well. Besides the fact that he was just a Penn State coach. I didn't even really get to look into the allegations very much. So I'm just going to step out and let you take that one on there. You got a hunter. I already talked about it. No, just you just give a biography. What are your opinions? Um, I 
I wasn't a athlete for him, but I'm assuming he was an extremely good, <laughs> extremely good coach for how long he was there. Do you think uh, that even with this allegation coming on about him, that allowing this to happen, do you think he still could be considered a great coach and probably be remembered in Penn State's legacy, or do you think they're going to try to kind of wipe him from the history books because of this event? Um, I think the fan base will remember him for his good things, but uh, the school won't. I think that's a good take, Hunter. Thank you so much. Oftentimes, fan bases act uh, not accordingly to what the school or the NCAA has to say. Free golf. Also, I think other fan bases will probably not remember him quite as fondly as the Penn State fan base because Penn State wants to see everything you know, in their past to be good, whereas other honestly, other fans will say, you know, oh, we don't like Penn State, so we don't like Joe Paterno. I honestly have to disagree with that. You said that many fan bases wouldn't, wouldn't really uh, remember him. I feel like he's a very rememberable coach in that he did a lot I didn't of say we wouldn't remember him. We're talking about him right now. Doesn't mean we don't like him, though. You said many fan bases outside of Penn State wouldn't like him. Yeah, we wouldn't like him. We remember him, but we won't like him. I feel like that's just a false statement. I mean, I feel like there's still a lot of people like there's Iowa State coach right now, for example, Matt Campbell. Um, I don't like Irrelevant. Iowa State, but I like him as a coach. He's a yeah, good coach. Yeah. I like Joe Paterno. But, but then State. once you, I liked Joe Paterno before that. But then once you find out <coughs> the stuff that he was covering up, makes you have something a reason to not like him. Be almost like Urban Meyer. Do you still like Urban Meyer as a coach? Good discussion. Let's move on to Niall Kinnick. How is his heroism justified, Austin? <laughs> uh, his heroism is very justified by the fact that he gave up his basically his career as an athlete to enlist in the service and then fight for his country. He gave up the greatest sacrifice by giving up his life for this country. Awesome. After he won the Heisman Trophy Award, he's the only Heisman winner from Iowa. Are you assuming Iowa University or Iowa the state? Uh, the University of Iowa. See, this is actually false information because Mr. K calls me Heisman every day in the hallway, and I'm going to Iowa next year. So that doesn't mean you officially won that's the, in the Heisman future. Trophy Award. That's in the future, there, Buck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even did more you impressive. even shuffle, shuffle, take away? Yeah, did. I think I won it. That's in baseball. The Heisman's a football award, fellow. Sorry about our special guest. He if you could uh, if you could see me right now, you'd know that I'm shooting daggers into Austin's soul with my eyes. But you can't because this is a podcast. Next topic: Conor McGregor. Whoa, Austin. whoa, 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 whoa! We weren't quite done discussing. I think we really we're not going to jump the gun here. Do you have, okay? Then what else do you still have got a whole then, lunch period? Then what else do you have to say? What do you have to say? <laughs> you said you're the we weren't done to this topic. You said we weren't done. You're the one that just brought it back to this topic. What do you have to say, Hunter? What do you have to say on this topic about Niall Kinnick? Yeah, um, he was a great man. He's a great man. Well, That's why the entire uh, University of Iowa and people outside that remember him before every game. They play his Heisman Trophy speech because he's a very honorable man. See, the only thing is, I think they should be remembering me too. Well, why? I also won the Heisman. You didn't though. Mr. K calls me. Do you should I bring him in here? Please don't. He's got nephews from Centerville. Good for him. They play U-Triple-S-A. They play 80 games a summer. (laughs) 
So the topic we're going to be talking about right now is Conor McGregor. Uh, I'm going to start talking about this and not Austin. Uh, so basically, what were the main points of Conor's career that started his legacy? Hunter? Um, well, Conor started out in like 2010 really fighting professionally. And uh, uh, finally, excuse you. <laughs> He finally got to the UFC in like 2014 and um, fought his way through the ranks until he uh, he faced uh, Eddie. No, Eddie wasn't his first champion. Uh, I can't think of his name. Was it Ferguson? I don't know, but I know. Either he way, fought. he made his. I'm gonna continue with Hunter was saying. He made his way through the ranks Thanks. and <laughs> uh, eventually made it up to his number one contender spot for the white the lightweight championship and ended up. The lightweight, not the white. White. Uh, anyways, he ended up winning that championship fight. All right, they're going to be featured. Hey, Landon and David. Continue. <laughs> anyways, after he won that and became the lightweight champion of the world for UFC, he ended up deciding that he wanted to not only be that champion, but he wanted to move up to the welterweight class and become the champion of that class as well. Selfish. Continue. I wouldn't say it's selfish. I'd say that's pretty determined and uh, honorable. Okay, so that's your uh, legacy in your eyes? Uh, he's not done yet. He ended up winning that fight and becoming a dual champion. Yeah. Oh, against Aldo? Aldo. And yes. then that was within eight seconds. So the first, of the the first, first fight was Eddie. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, I never figured it was Eddie. So is that that's your uh Well, he legacy. went from there, and then... Eventually, he ended up deciding to even change his sport, basically, to fight Floyd Mayweather. Granted, he did not win that fight, so, but, but it's an incredible eyes, He honor. made a lot of money. In my yes, eyes, he did. Conor McGregor's career is that of a sellout who went to boxing. Why would you say it's a sellout? butt kicked <laughs> just to uh, please Conor or just I don't to think please you Floyd Mayweather. Kicked, though. And uh, really Floyd Mayweather whooped his butt. He didn't even get knocked out as a TK. I don't order. think you can whoop somebody's butt in boxing. He would have been knocked out if the referee didn't call it off to save him. That's what his Also, he paid the referee, referee off because he knew he was going to get his butt whooped. So Why would he pay him off to lose? So that he could call it off before he got knocked out. So he wouldn't have irreversible That's what the ref's job brain is. damage. Yeah. So he, he paid him basically his salary yeah. to do his job. Make him lose before Floyd could whoop his butt too hard. So in my eyes, Conor McGregor is a career loser. Your eyes are uh, very perfect. Description. Hunter, as you can see here, is wearing glasses. Uh, Sorry about that. Gosh. Telling me I need a new prescription. I think we need to change special guests for next week's episode. Yeah. Next maybe, week. She, she maybe Big Chris. Daily. I do daily. Also. Jay Chris. So no, Big Oh. You gotta do daily uploads if you want to succeed. Okay. This is our outro. Uh, this is Scott signing off. This is Austin signing off. And this is Spud signing off. We'll see you next time on whatever this podcast is called. All about custom talking. <laughs>